any fans of the show This Is Us? Any This Is Us fans? Oh man, this show is amazing. It's a masterful show at how they intertwine these family stories and they play with these different timelines and time periods. The writing of this show is so good, amazing storytelling. There's these complex backstories of how all these characters are connected. But the thing about it is I have to be in the right frame of mind to watch this show. I'm about a season behind, so no spoiler alerts, okay? Um, Because sometimes I'm like, I I am not at an emotional state to be able to watch the show because it is so charging. It it deals with some real life things, addiction and divorce and co-parenting and aging parents and identity issues and estranged family members and childhood trauma, adoption, panic attacks, like amazing, all kinds of amazing things. You will find something in almost at least every episode that you just go, how did they know that about me? Like they read my mail. That's exactly what I feel. How did the writers of this show understand the emotion behind that. I think we need to pray for whoever wrote this because they've been through some major trauma. They need safe harbor counseling. I mean, there's a lot going on for them to be able to write something so raw and so vulnerable. It's a little bit like that with our series of Once Upon a Time. We're dealing with this this first family, this family of Abraham, and we're seeing this personal God call this family into a personal relationship and set them on on a path. They make all kinds of mistakes. They mess up all the time. There's lying and there's deception and they have stepkid issues and there's bullying and there's infidelity and there's infighting. There's like this, this family is a mess. It, it, there's all kinds of drama. But we also see the faithfulness of God. You see this personal God who is patient with this family, and you see him holding up his end of the bargain, him holding up both sides of the contract, him proving himself to be faithful over and over again in this messy drama, this story of the family of Abraham. And so it's in that tone, we're going to jump into our story today, and we're going to see what Abraham and Sarah do. They, they do some good things in this story. They actually get some stuff right. They make, a, they make a mistake here and there, but they do a pretty good job. And we're going to have something that we can learn from this story today. We're going to be in Genesis 18. If you have your Bibles or your phone, go ahead and turn there. We'll also have it on the screen for you as well. We're going to talk in Genesis 18. And it says, the Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre, where he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. So the sun's out, and it's just too hot to be working. You want to work in the morning, you want to work in the cool of the evening, but in the middle of the day, in the heat, you want to take a little siesta. And that's what Abraham's doing. He's chilling, he's in his tent, and this area is uh, is present-day West Bank. Um, It's uh, an area called uh, Hebron. And these great trees that we see here that show up in Scripture, they show up in history as well. We see them uh, referenced by descriptions of travelers in the 1100s and the 1200s. We have pictures from the early 1900s of these trees. This, This is what 
the trees look like today. Um, these are possibly the same exact trees that Abraham is sitting under and where he is, he is camped. So he looks out, and verse 2 says, Abraham looks up and he sees three men standing nearby. He's probably a little spooked. He's probably a little taken off guard. I mean, he's, he's sitting there chilling, and then all of a sudden, boom, these three men appear. They just show up out of nowhere. This is called a theophany. We, we've had one already in the story of Abraham. A theophany is the appearance of God in human form. And it's hard to tell exactly what Abraham knows and when he knows it. But you kind of get the sense that this is a unique interaction. Um, hospitality is a really big deal in this day and age. And so a lot of Abraham's response and what he does, how he responds, you, you could chalk it up and go, oh, well, it was just being hospitable. That's, that's the day and age. But it's not exactly normal this interaction. Let's see what Abraham does when these three visitors suddenly appear before him. It says, when he saw them, he hurried from the entrance to his tent. To meet them, he bowed low to the ground. He bowed low like a servant. He said, if I found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought. You may wash all of your feet and rest under this tree. Let me go get you something to eat so that you can be refreshed and then go out on your way now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered, do as you say. Again, hospitality is really important. But Abraham, there's a sense of responsibility for these travelers. He, he is willing to go out of his way to be able to help them. And you get a sense of this cultural expectation by the response of the three men. They're not doing the check dance here. You know, like when you, oh, hey, let me pay. No, 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 I'll pay. No, okay, cool, thanks for paying. I didn't really want to pay that, all right? Cool. Uh, I, I lived and worked in uh, Asian American culture for six years in, in California at an at a Asian American church. So I, I learned that you need to do this at least three times. You need this back and forth to be able to show them the respect and to be able to let someone bow out while saving face. And that's kind of the, the way things go. Now, these these three guys, they are not doing the check dance. Abraham says, hey, let me take care of you. Let me do all this stuff. Let me sacrifice for you. And they say, yeah, yeah, sounds about right. Go, go do your thing. So he goes and Abraham springs into action. Abraham chooses to bless. And that's really what we see in this passage. Abraham, he responds with this sense of blessing. So he chooses to bless, and this helps us understand a whole lot about who Abraham is and about his character. So what does he do? He springs into action, and the very first thing is he enlists some help. He goes and he gets his wife, and he runs into the tent. In verse 6, it says, uh, he says to his wife, Sarah, quick, get three seas of flour, the finest flour, knead it, and bake some bread. This is a lot of flour. He enlists some help. He knows that he can't do this on his own. He wants to pull out all the stops for these guys. Now, I don't know about you. I hate asking for help. I, I, I love servant leadership, and I love, like, I don't love it, but I, I will just be the martyr 
and like, oh, you know, something needs to be done and I know how to do it and maybe I should just be the one to go ahead and do it. It'll be easier and faster if I just do it myself and like, like, oh, woe is me type stuff. There's something broken in me. That's why I do that. I don't know. But Abraham doesn't do that. He goes in and he says, hey, I need some help. Sarah, let's go. Let's get to work. And they go in and they start getting to work. Now, notice what Abraham does here. Abraham's 99 years old. Okay, so keep that in mind. He's an old man and he is getting some work done. Like hashtag grind. Okay, so he's out there and verse 7 says he ran to the herd. He selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. Then he brought some curds and some milk and the calf that had been prepared and sets it before them. He is working hard to prepare this meal for these travelers. He is working hard to bless them. He may or may not have a clue at the very beginning that this is God standing before him. It's a little hard to tell, but regardless, he chooses to bless these people that are in front of him. He chooses to bless these three newcomers. Uh, Malcolm S. Forbes of Forbes magazine says this, you can easily judge the character of a man by how he treats those who can do nothing for him. You can tell a lot about someone by how he treats the little person, the person that he doesn't need to treat well. You can learn a lot about someone. So what's Abraham's default? His default, his bent, his bent towards blessing. Are are you interested in new people? Or is your motivation, hey, there's a new person, but how do they help me? What's the advantage to me? If you see a new family here on Sunday morning, are you willing to go and talk to them? Are they worth your time and your effort to connect with someone? Is it worth your time and effort to compliment a parent when you see them out and about and how they handle the situation with their kids? Is it worth your time and effort to connect with someone that's maybe on another project at work? Do you, do you care about people? Are you interested in people? Can I easily judge your character by how you treat someone who can do nothing for you? Abraham chooses to bless these three visitors who show up on his doorstep. Will you choose to bless like Abraham? That's what we're going to talk about today. I have three questions that will really help us know if we are blessing like Abraham or not. The first question is this, will you choose to hoard or will you choose to help? We choose to hoard or help. Abraham gets involved, right? He puts his own resources on the line. He goes and he gets a, a tender calf to be able to prepare for these visitors. Meat is not necessarily something that's a normal staple in their diet. If you think about the, uh, the parable of the lost son, right? When the dad, the son returns, the dad goes and he gets the fattened calf and prepares it and has a feast. And the older brother's like, whoa, what are you doing? That's such an investment. Why would you waste this money on this, this kid that came? It's a big deal to, to sacrifice an animal, to prepare this meal for people. You get one shot at that. There's not a deep freezer. There's not a refrigerator. And he's willing to go and select this choice calf 
for these visitors. He is willing to use of his, his time and his effort and his resources to bless someone else. He, he, he looks at it as, yes, this is an extravagant gift, but everything that he has been given, everything that he has been blessed with, it's there to bless other people. He has been blessed by God to be a blessing to others. And, and that's an extension of God's blessing. And so he sees his possession as something used to be able to extend the blessing of God. What's in your hand? Not like right now, but like what, what's in your hand? What tools do you have? What resources do you have? What has God blessed you with? Will you choose to hoard or will you choose to use it to help? I was on a plane uh, this week, and the, the pilot, he, he said, you know, our, our flight attendants are going to give the safety presentation, and if you could do them the respect and, and actually watch them, can you give them your attention while they do this? It's important information, but it's also common courtesy, and I think our world could use a little more common courtesy. And I was like, oh my gosh, that was... That was amazing. That's exactly what we need. He has a plane full of people, and what's in his hand is literally a microphone. And he used that not to preach, but hey, just let me interject some positivity there. Let me interject some civility there. I, I loved it. It was, it was fantastic. It was perfect. What's in your hand? What has God blessed you with? What advantages do you have, and, and are you using those? Maybe God has blessed you with a home, with a, a back porch or a living room that would be perfect for a, a life group this fall. That would be amazing. Use that to God's blessing. Maybe God has blessed you with a skilled trade, HVAC or drywall or plumbing, electrical, something like that. That's amazing. Can you use that to help others? We could use your help here with our buildings and maintenance team. That's a great way to get involved. Do you have skills in, in an instrument or mixing sound or editing video? These are things that we could use here. Are you blessed with time? Maybe you're blessed with time and you can extend that blessing and, and watch your grandkids or, or watch someone else's kids or you could help during the summer with, with childcare. That's an amazing blessing. That would be incredible to help someone in that way. Maybe you're blessed with time on Sunday morning and you can join a Sunday serving team. We, on that QR code, we have a, a button for fill the serving gaps. We, we have holes that we need. We need more people around here, whether it's Journey Kids or out front or on the security team or in, in the tech booth. There, there are things that, that we could use your help with. We would love for you to get involved, to use what God has given you, not selfishly, not to hoard it, but to use it as a blessing for others. Will you choose to help or will you choose to hoard? The second question that I, I want to ask is, will you choose pride or will you choose people? Abraham's response is really important here. Um, he takes on the role of a servant. And sure, you can say, well, it's a hospitality culture, so of course he's doing that. If you've spent any time in, in Africa or the Middle East, you know how important hospitality is. 
I, I mean, the bar is so high, it makes us look like complete jerks. And so you could say, well, it's just the hospitality and his, his baseline expectation on service and what he should be doing. You know, he, he meets that. It's really not that big of a deal. Here's my argument to that. Abraham has servants. He, he's a pretty wealthy guy at this point. He's got people that can do that. He doesn't need to be the one working and preparing. And look at what it says in, in verse 8. Nothing is below him. It says, while they ate, he stood near them under a tree. He is like a servant standing nearby, ready to attend to their needs, patiently waiting. Whatever they need, I'm going to be the one right here to help them. That's how important these people are, that he doesn't see his role and his pride and his station of life. He is willing to care for these other people. He's willing to lay his pride down because of the people in front of him. Uh, Walt Bettinger is the CEO of Charles Schwab, and he, he tells a story about his last final that he took in college. He, uh, he needed an A on this final to complete a four-point all the way through college. And so he studied, prepared, goes, sits down, teacher, professor hands out uh, a piece of paper and, and says, all right, now that each of you have a piece of paper, I want you to turn it over. So he turns over the paper. Both sides are blank. Okay. So th this is the final blank, blank, one blank piece of paper. The professor says, I've taught you everything that I can teach you about business in the last 10 weeks. But the most important message, the most important question is this. What's the name of the lady who cleans this building? And that was the final. He goes, it's the only test I ever failed, and I got the B that I deserved. He goes, I, I didn't know her name. Her name was Dottie. And he goes, I had seen her before and never taken the time to know her name. He goes, I'll tell you what, I have taken the time to know every other Dottie that I've ever worked with. Is someone's station of life below you? Is your schedule more important than another person and human being? Will you choose pride or will you choose people? So will you choose to hoard or help? Will you choose pride or people? And, and finally, will you choose tales or will you choose truth? Will you choose tales or truth? I don't know. It doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, but the alliteration works, so bear with me, all right? Uh, we're going to get a little more into the story here. and We're going to see what happens. This is kind of where we make a little mistakes in the story. All right, so we're going to talk about Sarah here in verse 9. Uh, this is where we know that this theophany, this appearance of God in human form, this is really where we're seeing it in action. We, we know what's happening here. It's become clear at this point. Uh, so verse 9, uh, they say, Where is your wife, Sarah? They asked Abraham. Abraham doesn't freak out the fact that they know his wife's name. All right, so that's a little indication of the wheels are spinning for Abraham, and he knows this is a unique interaction. Um, he's not like, whoa, 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 
Who are you? How do you know who she is? What's going on here? He just, he, he responds, he answers. He's, she's there in the tent. Now, there's a lot of debate on, on why he responds like this, why Sarah's not helping serve these people as well. A lot of debate. Um, a lot of scholars tend to think that um, there's a reason why she's in the tent. There's a reason why she's not helping. And it could be that she's in the tent sick. She's in the tent maybe confused as her body is kickstarting this whole baby thing. All right. And, and so she's in the tent, she's hiding out, but she's also listening. And, and the dialogue gets a little confusing here um, because one of them says, I will surely return to you in about, about this time next year and your wife, Sarah, will have a son. Now, Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So she laughed to herself and she thought, after I am worn out and my Lord Abraham is old, will I now have this pleasure? Will I now have this pleasure of having a baby? Now, details are a little fuzzy on how this plays out. Um, it doesn't read like a well-structured play, with, complete with blocking and stage directions and things like that. That's not the point of this story. It's not meant to give us a scientific exactly, well, this happened at uh, 2.35 p.m. and then at, at 3, she said this, and th that's not the point of how this story works. Um, but that's okay, because we're gonna find out what the point of this story is in these next verses, in 13 and 14. It says, then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I'm old? So they kind of put Abraham on the spot. Why did your wife laugh? Remember, she's in the tent. I, don't worry about it. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. Because now we see Sarah's response. So somehow she's involved in this. And she, Sarah was afraid. So she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. I come on, Sarah, you're lying. You're caught. You're caught lying. Just, just stop. Like you laughed at the prospect that you would have a son. It just seems ridiculous to you. You've been told this. You tried to take matters into your own, your own hands, right? With the whole servant, have a baby with my servant thing. Like she knows that this is supposed to happen. She tried her own thing. That definitely didn't work out. But she had definitely given up hope that this could happen for her. And then she lies about it when she says, yeah, no, I, I didn't laugh. What's the truth here? What's God trying to get across to Sarah? This whole section, the whole thing all comes down to verse 14. It's all right here. This is the point of it. The point is not, well, if Sarah was in the tent, how do they respond to him and all that kind of stuff? Is it God? Is it not? The point of the story is to look at Abraham and to look at Sarah and ask the question in verse 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? That's what this is all about. Do you believe that God can actually do this? So what is it? What's going on in your life that this message needs to be applied to? 
What, what do you need to ask the question, do I really believe that God could do this? Do you believe that God could heal your anger? That he could mend your, your broken heart and restore your marriage? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Do you believe that, that God could use you at work? Do you believe that God could pull you out of your financial trouble? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Do you believe that you're too far from God? Do you believe that God could never free you of your addiction? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Do you believe that your mistakes, your sins can be washed away? Do you believe that you can be forgiven? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Do you believe that the Spirit can reside in your heart? Do you believe that you can spend eternity in heaven with Him? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Because it's in that Spirit that we get to take communion this morning. It's in that spirit that we get to remember what God did for us that made this possible. We're reminded that Jesus loved us first, that he chose to help, right? We're reminded that Jesus chose to bless us, not, not hoard his time, not hoard his life to himself. He chose to bless he chose to give up the pride of deity and dwell among people. He was the truth so that we can know the truth. So join me as we celebrate communion, as we remember that Jesus was broken for us, as we take the body of Christ and remember his brokenness for us. Let's eat together. And because of the sacrifice of Jesus, the shedding of his blood, we can be forgiven. Let's drink together. Would you pray with me? Father, help us to know that nothing is too hard for the Lord. Help us to bring our life, our situations, our problems, our struggles, the, the stress that we have, the fears and the doubts that we have. We lay that at your feet, just like your word instructs us to, knowing that nothing is too hard for you. So Father, we pray that you would go before us this week. Would you guide us would you lead us to the people that we should connect with? Would you remind us the importance of people? May we bless all that we see. May we prioritize the, the, the people in our life. So Father, we thank you. We thank you for your love and for your grace and for eternal life made possible through your son, Jesus. And it's all because of Jesus that we pray these things. Amen.